All right. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with Leo Flowers. How are we doing today, boys and girls? I'm excited about today's episode because today we're going to talk about suicide prevention and research on successful interventions. That's right. Whether and these are different intervention modalities for whether we're talking about children, military, the elderly. These are different interventions for different demographics. And so we're going to go over the latest research in the successful interventions. So I'm super excited to talk about that. Uh, But before we get into that, we always, always want to start off with the number to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which is 1-800-273-8255. Because remember, this podcast is not a replacement for for you to get help and for you to talk to someone, to have a conversation, for you to share your emotions, for you to be vulnerable with someone else. Um, and, and so make the phone call. That's the talk number I just gave you, 1-800-273-8255. And they will talk to you for as long as you need, whether it's Five minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, five hours. They are there to listen and help you through it. Um, And then the other number, of course, if you have a more acute, immediate uh, need, 1-800-784-2433. 1-800-784-2433. All right. Uh, so those are the main phone numbers. Of course, there is, if you are experiencing or dealing with some LGBTQ issues, then the call the Trevor project at eight, eight, six, six, four, eight, eight, seven, three, eight, six. And then if you're a teenager and this is, uh, I don't know if you can, this is the Los Angeles teen line. And I don't know if it's uh, a number that you can call from anywhere, but it's 1-800-852-8336. And then I'll give you one more. If you want to text, maybe maybe you can't pick up the phone. Maybe you're in a situation where uh, if somebody hears you making a phone call, uh, it could have uh, consequences for you. So if you need to, if there's a crisis text line and you can text connect to 741-741, okay? So just text the word C-O-N-N-E-C-T, connect, to the number 741-741. And that's a crisis uh, text line, okay? All right. So make the phone call. If you need to make that phone call now, make the phone call now. You know, make it on your way to work. And and just be like, hey, I'm on my way to work. I have a 30-minute, and I just really i am going through some things. And and I, I trust me, they will... They will uh, guide you through it. I, I And like I said, and I say this every show, every time I'm on the road and I talk about um, uh, suicide and my stand-up, people after the show are always asking me, what what's the number? That's why I give this number out every episode. People are still asking. I mean, it's 1-800-SUICIDE, and people still ask, what is uh, the number? Okay, uh, so of course... After you give out the numbers, we always like to go into a little gratitude. And uh, this week, 
I am grateful for a safe landing. Landing safely. I've been traveling a lot. I was in New York. I was in Vegas. It was a lot of crazy weather between the two. Uh, and, and not only landing safely for my flights, but I went hiking, got lost. Not only did I get lost, I ran out of water. So I had to eat snow. That's how cold it was in Vegas. There was snow up there in the mountains. I didn't even know Vegas could get snow, but it's been raining here in L.A. Um, so I ran out of water, was eating snow, which it made me feel like a five-year-old again. It was it was kind of great. and But I was also kind of wary of like, I don't know if I can eat snow today. Like I think about all the chemicals and stuff that we put in our soil that weren't there when I was a kid, or at least I wasn't aware of. And I was like, can is it even safe for a kid to eat snow? But um, but I ate the snow. I'm fine. No issues. Uh, I didn't lose a limb. No breakouts or anything like that. I'm still here. But of course, it could be something in there. And then 10 years later, find out the snow from the mountains of Vegas. Anyway, uh, a little off track. But I'm so I'm grateful that uh, my plane landed safe. My planes landed safely and that I, I got back safely uh, from my hiking trails. Um, and I'm also grateful for the community uh, that I'm in. Uh, like sometimes we forget about the the environment, the the the, the people in our building, the people in our community, the, the 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 first responders, the the people who make your city um, function on a day to day, from the mailman to the 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 garbage truck man to your land to just just so many people that are involved in making your life smooth, easy, efficient, uh, livable, you know, so many things. And even if you're in dire, uh, a dire circumstance or situations, there are still people who are getting up to, who are at least putting in the effort to make things better for you, whether it's the guys out there uh, paving the roads and filling up the potholes, uh, construction workers, to the nurses, the doctors, uh, the politicians, there are politicians out there who are working for you and are trying to, uh, you know, make things better. Uh, even Trump just passed a bill to uh, add more funding for the uh, the VA so that we can reduce the number of suicides. So people are out there working for you that you're completely unaware of, that you've never met, that you've never heard of. And so we have to remember that we're all connected. When I went hiking in Vegas, I I got to the top, and which was like a five mile hike up to the top. It's a place called uh, uh, Red Rocks, and you know people say it's lonely at the top, but here's what I'll say. Yeah. At the beginning of the hike, there are a lot of people around. There's a bunch of cars, the people, their children, their dogs. It's crowded at the bottom. And then as you as you start to ascend, you get to mile one. Those numbers start to drop off. Mile two, drop off mile three. You, you, there's almost nobody around. Uh, and then four and five, you're completely alone up there. And And even though I was alone, I did not feel lonely. Because I was surrounded by nature. This is the beauty of 
And we talked about this in the last podcast with uh, Jake Jones about why we love to go hiking. I couldn't go hiking today because it was raining and I, I literally was feeling depressed. I, I was like, I spent way more time in bed than I should have because I was really looking forward to hiking. And then I, I wasn't able to. And of course, there are other things that I could have done, but I was just so I was just like, I can't go hiking. But um, but when you're at the top, even though you're alone, you're not lonely there. Like you can feel the life uh, vibrating and radiating from the trees. You can see I saw bunny rabbits. You saw birds, uh, um, eagles and blue jays and uh, oh, some bugs. There were some bugs. I was I was like, oh, what is that? Something just bit me. Um, there were butterflies like there was so much life. And and then also you heard the 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 snow melting. So you had this you heard the trickle of water coming down the side of the mountain. And I'm like, here I am like, oh, I ran out of water. What am I going to do? And there's the mountain providing me with life. And if I knew anything about nature, right, then I would have been more aware of how much food I was surrounded by because I know nothing about plants. So they're all poisonous to me. You understand what I'm saying? But I, I was watching this YouTube video actually, and I'm going to put the YouTube video. Let me, let me mark this down. I'm going to put the YouTube video in this, in today's show notes, but it's a video where he talks about the seven plants that are edible. Now this only applies to California, the video that, um, I'm going to put in the show notes. However, I think it's great to open your mind to how much food you're surrounded by, because so, so many times we walk through life thinking that there, there's a lack and how am I going to eat and my next meal and, uh, you know, thinking it all has to come from Whole Foods or Rouse or Vons or Dominic's or whatever uh, grocery store, Walmart is close to you when we fail to realize a lot of times that nature is providing uh, so much for us. All right. Third thing I'm grateful for now that I get off that little tangent. Um, I'm, I'm grateful for you guys, the listeners. Every, every, you know, week I, I get uh, a breakdown of the charts and to see the numbers grow, to see more people, um, getting involved and sharing and the letters. Uh, that's what I was going to do is, um, I'm, I'm the feedback and it just, it motivates me. It keeps me going. And, uh, I'm so, I'm so glad that so many people are, uh, being positively affected by, uh, the podcast. All right. So I'm going to read to you, excuse me, two letters uh and this one is from blah 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 because of course i'm not going to say the name but here it goes i have been listening to your podcast for the last couple of days i have to say that i'm learning a lot from it it is helping me understand my mental health issues i have always questioned myself why i have to suffer from it listening to your podcast is helping me understand that i am not alone and is helping me understand the reason behind my anxiety and depression. 
that to me is so powerful and I, I really appreciate receiving messages like this and, and comments on, on iTunes. People are direct messaging me through Facebook, uh, Instagram at Leo Flowers 2000, Leo Flowers 2000 on uh, Instagram. And then Facebook is just uh, my name, Leo Flowers. And then this other letter um, or message I got, this is a, a, a friend of a friend who uh, sent this to me or sent so this message was sent to a friend uh, and the and the person knew that uh, that they knew me. I don't know if that made sense at all. Anyway, here's the message. Uh, thank you so much. I keep forgetting to tell you that uh, I listened to your friend's podcast, which I like. And it's such an interesting take on such an important topic that we don't talk about enough, especially in the black community. I'm going to forward his podcast to my son. He just told me yesterday that someone from his school uh, completed suicide, uh, which is next door to his dorm. He didn't know the person, but just in case some of his friends are struggling, it's another way. And and that's powerful, too. And that's a beautiful thing that, um, you know, you don't you know, I recognize that a lot of listeners aren't the ones necessarily going through it, but they are there's they know someone who is um whether they're one or two or three people removed. And and remember that that 800 number that I gave out at the top of the show, if you don't know how to talk to someone about it, they will help you uh, work through it. So call the number or, re, you know, uh, refer the number to someone who you think will need it. All right, so now let's get into suicide prevention and the research on successful interventions. Okay. So the first, uh, uh, research we're looking at, this is done on men and, uh, and it's about gun control and suicide and what they found. And some of this is going to be obvious and on the nose. Um, but we still need to be reminded of the importance of, the 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 interventions because uh, as obviously no one knows it is it's it's the same way with the calling the number and so many people have not uh, called that number who uh, need to and, and want to so so looking at gun control and suicide and this this piece of in, this piece of research focused on the impact of state firearm regulations in the United States from uh, 95 to 2004. And what they found are that general barriers to firearm access created through state regulation can have a significant effect on male suicide rates in the United States. All right, so as we know, most men who commit suicide, they do it through uh, with a gun. And so this is just saying that if we regulate the the gun measures with by making sure that there are permit requirements and that we ban sales to minors that will have a significant effect on reducing uh suicide completed suicides by gun all right um the and and another thing that they so to restate it in what the research is saying gun control policies that try to keep high-risk individuals from possessing firearms had uh wait Okay, the most effective policies were 
Okay. The most effective gun control policies with respect to suicide rates were those that reduced overall gun availability, including permit requirements and bans on sales sales to minors. All right. So if you're in a position to, uh, you know, and, and here's how we affect that through our voting measures and making sure that we limit the availability of guns uh, to the public, especially to minors. And if we if we are going to allow guns, make sure that there are permit requirements so that we know that people who have guns have had some type of background check and mental health check and they're in the system so that uh, we can uh, check up and follow up with them and make sure that um, the people who uh, do possess guns um, are of sound mind and body. OK, so that was the first piece. The second piece of research we're looking at is the effect of public awareness campaigns on suicides. All right. So this study looks at the relationship between suicide rates and a campaign meant to increase public awareness of depression and encourage people to seek help. The study took place over two years in Nagoya, Japan, which in 2010 had a suicide rate of 20.3 per 100,000 people. The findings were that wards of the city that had more frequent distributions of the promotional pamphlet about depression symptoms and mental health resources saw decreases in the number of suicides in the following months. Suicide rates among men in particular decreased following the public awareness campaign. So basically, the more information that we get out there about what do the symptoms look like for depression? What do the symptoms look like for uh, suicidality? Then the more that we can intervene and, um, uh, and, and, and be quicker with our treatment and, you know, uh, delay the momentum of those symptoms. Uh, and, and it's not just good for and it's not just great for people who may know somebody who's depressed, but even for yourself, because even myself, there's some there are moments where uh, I'm I'm going through a depressive episode and I'm unaware and I don't I go, oh, this is I see I'm, I'm spiraling in this direction. And so here's how I get out of that. Um, last night, <laughs> last night I had. Uh, a pint of ice cream. It was Halo Top, so it was it was vegan, gluten free. But uh, I was eating it out of I was bored and uh, and a little anxious. And there's so many other healthy ways for me to have uh, coped and dealt with those feelings than a pint of ice cream. But my point is, is that sometimes we spiral in a direction and then um, we we don't necessarily catch ourselves all the time. So the more aware we are, the more at the top of the mind, the signals are and the symptoms are the faster we can catch that. And especially in your kids, if, if you're, you know, your kids start listening to certain types of uh, music or their uh, patterns change, their behavior change, they start giving things away, things like that. Um, they, they uh, close themselves off. They're not as excited about activities that they're used to being excited about um uh they they become more lonely less uh don't talk as much things of that nature and those are all a lot of signs that i distributed uh or displayed i remember when i was in high school so 
the more aware we are and the, the more we stay on top of it, it's not enough. The point is, it's not enough for you to just read an article or read a book. You have to be consistent and constant in feeding your brain the information because we don't learn things after after one read. We, we have to, you know, read and reread and talk about and keep it at the top of mind so that we can catch it uh, sooner than later. All right. The next piece of uh, research we're looking at is the effect of crisis response planning versus contracts for safety on suicide risk in U.S. Army soldiers. All right. So in crisis response planning, individuals develop strategies for handling personal crises. These plans identify individualized warning signs, outline coping strategies, and highlight social supports and professional services. This study compared the efficacy of crisis response planning as compared with safety contracts. Now, this is important because sometimes uh, when you go into therapy or treatment, the therapist will ask you to sign uh, a contract that you won't complete suicide. And what this finding shows is that that uh, type of treatment is not effective. It's not, it has a low um, uh, efficacy rate in terms of asking someone to sign a contract that they won't take their life. But what this found is that in the six-month follow-up period after the initial intervention, these participants who received a crisis response plan attempted suicide five uh, uh, compared to five participants who received safety contracts. So um, the difference was 5% for the crisis response plan um, group versus 19% for the uh, the safety contracts. So that's a huge difference, right? That's that's more than 10% uh, of a difference between the two. And so this is basically saying that if we are able to identify individualized warning signs, and what's important in here is individualized warning signs because it, it, everybody's signs don't look exactly the same. So we have to figure out what the warning signs for one person is versus the other. Um, and then they outline coping strategies and they highlight social supports and professional services. So if you are if you have someone in your life or you yourself are going through it, the four things you want to be doing is you want to be able to identify what are your warning signs when you're starting to. Uh, spiral down and um, uh, experience the, the the ideations, and then what are some effective coping strategies for you to pull yourself out and and redirect that type of energy? Um, and then who? What are your social supports? Who are the people in your life that you can go to? And then what are the services available to you, like the one eight hundred number? Those are th- that's the homework that you have to do. That's the work that you have to put in, and and I and I know when you are when we're struggling with this, it's hard. We, know, we don't want to do the work, right? But if we just take one step, if we just address one of those things, if we just write down one person who uh, can socially support us, and then one service, uh, and then one sign, and then one coping strategy, just slowly start to build our arsenal and arm ourselves 
with ways that when the when the flames start to to get a little too close that we we have a strategy in place and, and an intervention in place so that uh, it doesn't have dire results for us. OK, um, and that's why it's important for you to talk to a therapist or a school counselor or a psychologist to help you develop those things, because like this research is showing that stuff saves lives. OK, and this is recent. This is 2017. That you know this uh this this uh this research this uh is being released. So, like I said, the the crisis response planning was more effective than a, a contract for safety in preventing suicide attempts, re- resolving suicidal ideation, and reducing inpatient hospitalization among high risk active duty soldiers. So that that was uh, done with the military right there. All right. Let's go on to our next uh, suicide prevention intervention uh, comparison. So this one addresses the comparison of the safety planning intervention with follow-up versus usual care of suicidal patients treated in the emergency department. So the safety planning intervention is another crisis response planning tool. Five emergency departments and hospitals run by the Federal Veterans Health administration administered the trial protocol uh blah 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 blah. overall okay so i'm just reading through it basically that what this um research is is looking at is when people are in a hospital veterans are in a hospital what is more effective is it the safety planning intervention or the usual care that the hospitals usually give for suicidal uh, patients treated in the emergency department. And the safety planning intervention consisted of six steps. Okay, here are the six steps. Identify personalized warning signs. Determine internal coping strategies. Identify family and friends who can help. Identify other individuals who can provide support. List mental health professionals to contact. And Number six, counsel patients on how they can make their environment safer. So the findings were that the so the safety planning intervention was associated with 45% fewer patients attempting suicide in the follow-up period as compared with usual care, approximately ha- having ha- or halving, halving the odds of suicidal behavior over six months. Patients in the experimental group also had over double the odds of utilizing outpatient mental health services. So this is great on two levels. One, not only was it uh, uh, associated with 45% fewer patients attempting suicides, but it also led to the patients then being proactive in seeking outpatient mental health services. So I want to read to you again those six steps. And as we go through these different um articles and in the in the research you're going to see a lot of overlapping right um in terms of uh looking for identifying personalized warning signs one number two determine internal coping strategies three identify family and friends who can help this is so important identify people who are close to you that can help you and that are willing to help you and that will verbally commit 
to uh, helping you and get details in terms of what does help look like? Does help mean that I can I can call you at any time? Does help mean that you'll uh, drive me to the hospital? Does help mean that you'll come over? Like, what does help mean? What kind of help do you need? Help does help mean that you'll hug me and hold me? Like, what does what kind of help are you looking for? And be specific um, with that. Number four is identify other individuals who can provide support. So teachers, um, neighbors, uh, uh, you know, uh, social workers, et cetera, et cetera. The, the 800 number of those people are always there for you. Number five, list mental health professionals to contact, um, whether it's through text, email, uh, FaceTime, whatever it is. Have some mental health professionals that are are, are ready uh, for you to to reach out to. I personally, I have friends. I have a list on my wall of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven of eleven people that um that and I call them my lifeline, and and I they're not and even though it's eleven people, I can't call all eleven for the same thing there's they're, they're all there for different reasons but it's a reminder to me that I do have people in my life that I can call that I can reach out to that I can connect with and it just makes the world feel uh, uh, a lot smaller and it makes me feel uh, loved and and cared for and, and knowing that um, that there are people who have said to me, and these are people who have said to me, like, yo, I'm here if you ever need to talk, let me know, et cetera, et cetera. So that feels good, right? So just knowing that it's, I, the first step in all, and in, in, in what the, a lot of this, the research that we're going through, the first step that they're all mentioning is like, identify personalized warning signs. That is the numero uno step, all right? All right, let's go on to the next piece of research. All right, and this one looks at a randomized controlled trial of the collaborative assessment and management of suicidality <laughs> versus enhanced care as usual with suicidal soldiers. All right, so basically they gave soldiers uh, a test called the Collaborative Assessment and Management of Suicidality, or CAM, C-A-M-S. And and then they compared that to the usual care that soldiers get who are expressing uh, uh, suicidal uh, ideation. And what they found is that uh, the CAMS group saw a huge improvement and that they were less likely to have suicidal thoughts three months after baseline as compared to the usual care group. So what did the the cams uh um group like what did that assessment entail so cams is described as an empathetic and collaborative assessment and treatment planning approach to suicide risk throughout care it involves restricting access to lethal means and fostering coping strategies cams also targets and treats patient defined suicidal drivers using appropriate clinical interventions IG or EG exposure treatment for a post-traumatic stress disorder related driver or couples therapy for a marriage related driver. CAMS is concluded 
Kansas concluded after three consecutive sessions with when suicidal thoughts, feelings, and behaviors are successfully managed per CAMS resolution criteria. So you can look up what the CAMS assessment is, collaborative, collaborative assessment and management of suicidality. That's what CAMS stands for. Um, to see exactly uh, what the test in, uh, involves and because we don't have enough time to get into it uh, on the podcast. But uh, look it up, and, and, and it's not, because it's not, even though it's for soldiers, it, well, they used it for soldiers. This could be for your kids. It could be for yourself. So, and I'm sure it's going to cover a lot of the same things that we've already talked about. Now, one of the things that I love in this, um, uh, in part, as part of this research, is that there was couples therapy involved. Couples therapy. Because we, we both know how important uh, relationships are and feeling connected uh, is in terms of helping us uh, move forward and want to be here and want to keep going and, um, and, and, uh, and, you know, give us purpose, you know, give us a reason for, for waking up. So going to couples therapy is not a signal that something is wrong with your marriage or your relationship. Going to couples therapy is a signal that you care about your relationship, that you value it, and that you recognize that you don't have all of the answers, and uh, and it's okay that we get help for ourselves, for our relationship, for our family, for the people we love, and for the things that we love. Okay, so if you need to go to couples therapy, even if you can, and I understand. Money is an issue for a lot of people. Even if you go to one session, one, I guarantee you will learn a lot. It will make you want to keep coming back. The more you go, the more uh, it, it'll, it'll have less of a stigma attached to it. And you can do it online. You can do it... Um, there's so many different ways you can do it if you can't show up or find someone in your area, right? There's a lot of online therapists. Go to Psychology Today, and you will find a million therapists and psychologists with their profile and picture, um, and uh, and you can get help that way online. All right, the next piece of research we're looking at is suicide in the elderly. This is a systematic review of interventions to prevent suicidal behaviors and reduce suicidal ideation in older people. This review looks at 21 studies of interventions to prevent suicide among older adults. The most effective were two large primary care-based trials that involved multiple hospitals. These interventions featured a collaborative care model in which depression care managers worked with primary care physicians to monitor symptoms, administer treatment, and otherwise support the doctors. So the findings were, of all the included interventions, the primary care-based screening and depression management uh, programs were most effective. The primary care setting is a good opportunity for suicide prevention intervention, as most suicides are known to have had contact with a primary care physician within a month of death. Primary care offers the possibility of suicide prevention through improved recognition and detection of depression, 
along with the optimization of depression management through collaborative care. So we have a uh, depression um, a depression care manager who works with the the direct physician in terms of helping to screen and monitor uh, the elderly to monitor your grandma or your grandpa to make sure that uh, you know they're not they're not spiraling down to to make sure that you know they are doing the things daily that they need to keep their spirits up whether it's uh, uh, their cleaning routine, or whether it's their daily routine, their diet, their exercise, uh, the medication, the counseling, the group activities, the games, the walking outside, whatever it is, the depression care managers, there's someone there to make sure that they're on top of things. So if you have someone in a nursing home or if you're taking care of someone, you know, you can, uh, you know, I don't know how you get in touch with a depression care manager, to be honest. I would uh, I would Google it. That sounds lazy to say at this at this place at this moment. But um, but then if you if you have your uh, a family member in a nursing home, then ask the nursing home or ask the hospital if they have depression care managers or a mental health. It doesn't have to be a depression care. It could be a mental health manager, someone who will work with the primary care physician um, to, to make sure that the, your grandmother, your grandfather, or your T.O. or Tia uh, are being uh, cared for, not just physically, but mentally, okay? Because it is effective and, um, and they, even though they're old, they still have a lot to contribute, whether they know it or not. And provide you know it's like my um all my grandparents uh are dead but you know there's so much to learn from the elder I feel like in life you should always have you should always have kids in your life you should have people your age in your life and you should have old people or the elderly uh in your life because you need all three perspectives to remind you of the value of life you know the universe loves threes so if you don't have any kids in your life, any youth, you know, volunteer, work with kids, um, uh, you know, babysit, whatever. And, and, you know, get some old people in your life. <laughs> get some old people, get some old, you know, whether you go down to a group home or uh, you hang out at the park, uh, at the coffee shop, find you some old people, get you some old people in your life. Because not only will you be giving them life, but they'll be giving you life and advice. And um, and, and they might give you some horrible advice because, you know, maybe they're not tech savvy. But I know people my age who aren't tech savvy, so that's not a big deal. But excuse me, a depression care manager. All right. So now this next piece of research looks at youth and teens. Because I know I have a lot of parents uh, who are, who listen and share the podcast, and I'm grateful for that. Um, so this one looks at the association of the youth nominated support team intervention for suicidal adolescents with 11 to 14 year mortality outcomes. Teens aged 13 to 17 who had been hospitalized for a suicide attempt or suicidal ideation were asked to select caring adults 
to support them after hospitalization. The adults were trained in suicide warning signs and treatment support strategies. The adults also received weekly phone calls from support staff for three months. The researchers were interested in the survival outcomes for the teens who had these support teams 11 to 14 years after their hospitalization as compared to those who received treatment but did not have self-appointed support teams. A total of 448 adolescents were followed through the study from 2002 through 2016. The adolescents were recruited from either a university psychiatric hospital or a private psychiatric hospital in the United States. Okay, so here are the findings. There were two deaths in the support team group, one homicide and one suicide, out of a sample of 223. There were 13 deaths in the, in the group without support teams, including eight that were either by suicide or were drug-related deaths with unknown intent, out of a sample of 225. The control group had a 6.6-fold increased risk of death compared to the support team group. The support team intervention was shown to be a safe intervention with no associated negative outcomes. So to, to summarize, basically, um, to have, if you, if you have a child, if you have a teenager who is experiencing suicidal ideations, to have them select an adult themselves, someone who will support them, and, and that they can call. So as parents, we feel like, I'm not a parent, but as parents, you know, we feel like we should be the ones that our kid wants to talk to, reach out to. We should be the ones to help them that, that, they, uh, that they select as the primary. But that's maybe not always be the, the, um, the situation for whatever reason. And we don't want to judge it. Our, our primary goal, our main goal, the mission is uh, to save the life of our child. And so if our, if our child picks a teacher or a counselor or the, the janitor or the landlord or um, uh, their coach, you know, whoever it is, then great. As long as they pick someone and there's someone that they feel like they can really reach out to and connect with and, and, and talk to then that's what we want. It doesn't have to be us. And that's okay. Because let's be honest, if you're a parent going through this, you, you have a million other things between work and the spouse and, you know, the house and all those things also. So remember, it takes a village. It takes a team. You don't have to do it all yourself. And even for individuals out there, if you're, if you're an adult, Find someone, call someone, like I said, and say, hey, will you, you know, like a sponsor, like in AA, how you have a sponsor, find a caring adult who will, um, who you feel like you can call and talk to and reach out to. It's not, even though it's for kids, the point is select someone to be in your corner and that you feel will be there when you um, need them, okay? All right, so now for the, the next finding, cognitive behavioral family treatment for suicide attempt uh, prevention. Now, this one looks at the safe alternatives for teens and youth. Uh, study involved a cognitive behavioral 
dialectal behavior therapy informed family treatment designed to promote safety. All right, so basically two therapists work with each family. One therapist focuses primarily on the youth and the other focuses on the parents or caregivers. Um, Sessions begin with simultaneous individual youth and parent components with their respective therapists and conclude with all participants coming together to practice skills and to address identified issues. And what they found were safety participants had a significantly higher probability of survival without a suicide attempt at the three-month follow-up compared with participants who received usual treatment. This is a second randomized trial to demonstrate that treatment, including cognitive, behavioral, and family components, can provide some protection from suicide attempt risk uh, in these high-risk youths. So, basically, cognitive behavioral therapy works. When we and cognitive behavioral therapy basically addresses our thoughts, feelings, and actions. How our thoughts. Uh, lead to our feelings and our feelings lead to our actions. Um, so if you're if you're in therapy and you're working with a therapist or you're trying to figure out what type of therapy to go into, cognitive behavioral therapy and dialectal behavior behavior therapy, which is a form of cognitive behavioral, uh, is has shown to be uh, highly efficacious. I think that's a word, um, but but um, effective is basically what I'm what I'm saying. Uh, in terms of uh, reducing suicide. So cognitive behavioral therapy, there are books, there are actually workbooks on cognitive behavioral therapy and uh, depression. And there's a there cognitive behavioral therapy, anxiety workbooks. So scoop those up there, Amazon, there are Barnes and Noble, and you will, it's so helpful. I, I bought one and it's, it's great. It's fun actually to, <laughs> it's like, a workbook. Who would have thought picking up a workbook, um, you know, for your depress- depressive symptoms or your anxiety symptoms would uh, be a thing. But actually, like when I travel and fly, like I- I'll take that with me and I'll I'll like do a page or two um, as I'm flying to uh, kind of kill time. So it's great. It's great when you. It's it's great to know and to identify what's going on with you. So that you can really f- go full steam ahead and address it versus um, what I usually do with a problem is like run away from it. All right. So we have, uh, what was that? Cognitive behavioral. And blah, blah, blah. So that's the same thing. All right. Bio, this next one is looking at children in juvenile detention. And biopsychosocial causes of suicide and suicide prevention outcome studies in juvenile detention facilities. All right. One strategy for suicide prevention involves screening individuals to determine who is most at risk. And so basically the finding from this is like when they do screen individuals, it dramatically reduces uh, suicide attempts and completions. So this goes right back to what we're saying earlier of like, learning what the signs are, learning how to identify it, and, and, and then that way we can intervene quicker versus if um, I had a podcast earlier talking about the six stages of suicidality. And, you know, if someone's in the fifth stage and, you know, the sixth stage is right around the corner and then, you know, it's too late. So if, 
that's why it becomes important in, in, in learning how to identify um, what stage they're in so that we can intervene a lot quicker. If we can catch them in the first two stages, um, then that's great. Now, this next one is fast. This next piece of research we're going to read, fascinating. Lithium in drinking water and suicide prevention, a review of the evidence. First of all, I had no idea lithium was in drinking water. Not to the end. Okay, let me just read what, all right. Lithium is a chemical element and a treatment for a number of mental health conditions. Research suggests that lithium is effective at reducing suicide mortality in both short and long-term treatment. Lithium is also naturally present in drinking water in some areas. I have no idea what these areas are. Uh, I'm going to leave that up to you guys. Let me know. You know, Google your, your area and figure out if there's lithium in your water. That, to me, is terrifying. Um, this research review assessed whether areas with higher lithium levels in the drinking water had lower suicide rates in the, uh, in the general population. The findings were a number of recent studies present consistent findings that higher levels of lithium in drinking water are correlated with lower suicide rates. Okay, but why is lithium in my water? Anyway, however, the potential mechanism of action underlying this relationship is not known. Further, even higher levels of lithium in drinking water are much lower than the therapeutic dose for humans. Um, Explication of the findings that even the very low levels of lithium provided in drinking water may reduce the risk of suicide is at present only speculative. All right. So, one, look up and find out if there's lithium in your drinking water. Um, because I, I wonder if it's in, if it's something that they're adding or is it is it something that uh is in there because so many people are okay so right now i looked up the LADWP response to concerns about lithium in valleys water what water and i just want to see uh i gave them you know lithium Okay, so a spokesman for the LADWP, and this is just for Los Angeles, said the agency received the findings but had not reviewed the lab, which were conducted. But he noted that lithium commonly occurs in water systems in the United States and is naturally found in earth metal found in soil, rocks, dust, and seawater. Uh, he said if there was a concern that they would alert the residents. Hmm. All right, so that's interesting. So it's natural. I I, I thought uh, lithium was like a man-made thing, like you know, some like a drug or something. But apparently, it's natural, um, and it's something that's found out there in the streets. And if it was uh, at a high risk, if if it was a significant amount of lithium, they would let us know. That's what they say. I don't know. Like, how would they let me know? Are they going to send a text? Is it a Facebook message? How are they letting us know? That's that's what I need to know. Um, all right. Next uh, piece of research is long-term effect of reduced pack sizes of 
Paris. Okay, so basically this next piece of research found that um, in England, right, where there were uh, a lot of suicide rates uh, or uh, deaths from suicide due to uh, drug overdose and specifically over-the-counter prescriptions, uh, Tylenol and things like that. So the they, the country, told the Tylenol makers and other prescription drug makers that they had to limit the number of pills in the bottle instead of having 32 pills, which is enough to, um, you know, cause it, which could have some dire effects. They, they had the, uh, the companies limited to 16 instead. And they saw a dramatic drop in, I think like a 20%, oh, 43% reduction. Wow. Or 765 fewer deaths over the 11 and a half years. So it's, it's something so powerful as re, this goes back to access. If we reduce the access of things that, um, that people are using, we can reduce the number of attempts and uh, deaths. So whether we're talking about guns, we're talking about drugs, if you have drugs in your, even if they're prescription drugs or healthy drugs, you know, lock it up, put them away. Don't buy more than you need to buy, buy the small, try buy the, if you, if you have a headache, don't buy it like a, a box of Tylenol. Just go out and buy two. Yeah. It might cost you more, but it could save your life. Okay. And the last piece of research, um, is this is the intervention to reduce suicide at suicide hotspots, which I don't know if I like that term <laughs> a suicide how oh, yeah, it is the hot spot for suicide uh, a systematic review and meta-analysis so basically the suicide hotspots are specific accessible and usually public sites which are frequently used as locations for suicide and gain reputations as such uh, such hotspots include bridges and forests the question was, do interventions to prevent suicides at these hotspots work? And what they found is that restricting access through barriers and other means, encouraging people to seek help through uh, signage and crisis telephones at the hotspot, and establishing a greater chance of third-party intervention through additional staffing, a police presence, or closed-circuit TV monitoring all worked to reduce the number of suicides per year at the hotspots where these interventions were tested. Which is now why, uh, if you look at the San Francisco Bay Bridge, they have nets and they have signs and they have uh, police. Like, they've done all these things and they've seen a dramatic drop in the number of people who are jumping from the Bay Bridge. So just restricting access through barriers and having people there and a police presence and a phone and a phone that you can call and signs. Um, all these things help to reduce the number and save lives and buy people time and buy us time so we can keep going. We can see another day. We get another chance to fight and live and thrive and swim and laugh and hug and 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 play and 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 
fail and struggle and cry and and crawl and jump all the things that are possible uh and and and, and also to be in awe to be in awe look if you you know like i said last night i uh, i called myself being bored and so i ate ice cream and if you if you stop to think about life if we stop to think about what we're able to do how far we've come as a as as a person as a species as as a planet as a you know, if you think about the bigger picture, if you think about the universe, that the earth has been here for billions of years. And we're part of that. We're part of that that legacy. There's this guy, Gary Vanderchuk, and he's like, you know, you got to leave a legacy. You know, that's, that's nothing's more important. And it's like just the fact that you're here. You, you're already leaving it. Just the fact that you're a part of the story of the think about that you're a part of the story of the universe when it like when we read books about the universe the planets the the stars the galaxy the um uh, the alien like we're a part of that we're a part of that story we're here right we talk about hum- we're part of the human race. If you think about the, think about the, don't just think about your story, right? Let's get out, get out of our heads for a second. Think about the story of the human race. You are a part of that. The highs and the lows, the good and the bad, the crazy and the, the mundane, the inventions, like, you're a part of that. You're a reason for that. We're everything, everyone, we are all connected. And and that hike to the top of the mountain, it showed that to me. The the birds, the the birds are beautiful and they're amazing and they're majestic, but they require the plants. They require the the river and the water and the snow and the sun and the plants are beautiful and majestic and the trees are amazing but no matter how huge an oak tree is it requires the soil around it to keep it upright it requires the 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 wind to to send its seeds so that it can keep growing and flourishing and so that birds birds need the trees so that they can find a home and put a nest in it. We're all connected. Take that with you. Breathe it in. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next time. All right. I know I said next time. But I just realized I want to I want to wrap up all the uh, the research that I just read off to you. And basically what I what I took away from it is. That if we identify. 
um, our per, our own signs. If we identify for ourselves when we're spiraling down, when we feel a little off, when we're not quite ourselves, like what are those habits? Identify those habits. Are you know whether it's like you 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 the you change your hair color, the music that you listen to, the places that you go or don't go, the people that you hang around. Are you drinking more? eating more are you drinking less eating like the signs look different for different people what are the things that you're talking about what are you watching like i find that um i watch more law and order svu when i'm feeling more depressive and then when i'm a bit more excited i i don't i watch like youtube uh funny videos and and things like that what, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm outside more versus inside more. I sleep later. I sleep real. Like there's so many different cycles. So identifying: Are you spending more? Are you spending less? Are you agitated more? Are you are you more calm, more quiet, more reserved? Or are you more out? Like what are your signs? And then when you are distributing those signs, do you ha- who who can you reach out to? Who can you call? Who can you talk to? A friend family somebody you work with a stranger the bartender the coffee shop barista who can you talk to write that down put this down on a wall if you have a dry erase board or cue cards don't put it in your phone put it somewhere visible visible where you can look at these things and then what what are the resources available to you whether it's uh, uh, the, uh therapist or counselors what are your local resource group? Join a group. Go weekly. Recognize this is something for some of us that is always going to be there. For some people, it's uh, it's it's acute because of life circumstances have become overwhelming. And then for some of us, no matter what our life circumstances are, uh, we're going to feel the, the flames uh, nipping at us. So create a plan, have people you can talk to, talk about it, journal, meditate, find a way to get out there in nature, being in front of the laptop, your cell phone, doing that all day is not good. We have to, we also, you know, we have to take responsibility for how we're taking care of ourselves and recognizing that some of the things that we are doing is not helping the situation at all. All right. So a little tough love from Leo Flowers. Get out there. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself. And uh, we're going to talk to you in, uh, wait, what's today? Monday or Thursday. So I'll talk to you guys Monday, Monday, Monday. And I'm super excited. I have, like I said, a special guest coming on. This is a guy who survived jumping off the Bay Bridge, speaking of which. And I'm going to have him on uh, sometime this month. Super excited about that and uh, and hearing his uh, complete story. So stay tuned, and we have a lot more great content coming up for you guys. I'm excited about uh, the next uh, few. I'm excited about every episode, every episode. And if you haven't listened to the Jake Jones episode, listen to that. Listen to the entire thing the in, from beginning to end, uh, and, and you're going to love it. Got a lot of great feedback from that one. All right, peace, deuces.